Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. My name is David Orban. I am very glad to have uh, all of you following the show. We are live on Facebook, on YouTube, on uh, Twitch, uh, accounts, groups, but it doesn't matter where. You can comment, ask questions, and wherever you are, we will be very happy uh, to select and show them uh, and answer them live. And uh, it will be a way to uh, keep uh, interacting. There are many other ways. Uh, you can, of course, subscribe to the channels, follow the page. Uh, you can become a patron on patreon.com slash David Orban. And here's the latest. Um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, BitCloud. It is a crazy new project that uh, uh, a lot of people are talking about. It is still in alpha. Don't be surprised if it crashes. Go check it out. I find it very interesting. Basically, what it allows you is rather than just donating uh, to the people that you want to support, you're basically investing in them. You are investing in a specific cryptocurrency of that person, which this uh, platform enables you to do. A lot of people are saying, oh, no, it's just a scam. I don't think at all it is a scam. Uh, it can go uh, belly up. And, and uh, of course, many startups, many projects fail. Uh, these guys behind the BitCloud uh, uh, seem spot to me. So go check it out. Make up your own mind. Today's guest uh, comes back for the second time uh, on the show. And for me, it is a real uh, privilege. Uh, most of you know him uh, through his association with Wired Magazine and many other projects around the, the implications of technology for society. But uh, as uh, so many people, uh, he is uh, a prism of uh, initiatives that uh, he absorbs and then spreads out in uh, various colorful ways. And so what we are going to concentrate on today is Kevin Kelly's latest project, Vanishing Asia. Welcome, Kevin Kelly, to Searching for the Question Live. It's so great to be back. You put on a great show. I love your um, versatility and your ability to be an impresario and collect all these different multimedia things. And so I'm really happy to be here answering questions if, um, if at all I can. Um, that's a superpower you have, David, and I'm, um, re I really like good questions. Well, uh, what is amazing to me is in this project, and, and, and we'll have many ways of meandering through uh, the um, sides and, 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 and the folds and, and the facets of, of, of the project, because it is uh, uh, through time, through space, uh, through different opportunities in media. So the first thing that, that I wonder is, and, and, and the answer is kind of obvious, when you set out on your first journey, did you imagine it would encompass 40 years? Mm. And, and, and your attachment to its power and the steps that allowed you to collect so many photos, and you still have the cameras. 
what what drove you in in this loyalty to yourself and in in the, in the investment that you made in in these uh, years uh, on on your own understanding of the world? Yes. If I may just take one moment to kind of explain what this project is for those who don't know. Let's so do that first. It's, um, it's called Vanishing Asia. And what it is, is 40 years of my photographs of a disappearing traditions in Asia. And I define Asia very broadly from Turkey to Japan and everything in between. And I was able to visit 35 countries of Asia. That's most of them. And um, there's a little map of showing my travels in red. This is the surface travels. If you had the flights, it would just be a mess. But this is my um, path through 40 years of Asia. And you can see there are still places that I didn't get to. I never made it to Iraq or Yemen, even though I was on my way. But um, for most parts, I was um, able to visit most of the countries and not just the capital city, but sort of in the hinterland. And what I was doing there was photographing in still pictures, because that was really was all that was available 40 years ago, traditions, ceremonies, costumes, architecture, that was very, very, very specific to that place and is disappearing. And in some cases has already disappeared. Um, and I wanted to put all those into one book. And so I took 200,000 images over those years and I reduced it to 9,000 of the best. And I designed each page and I made a thousand pages, a thousand eighty pages into this one book. And um, the book just became even too big to put on my lap. So I have divided it up into three volumes of still a thousand plus pages. That is Vanishing Asia. And you can see some examples of that's Srinagar uh, in Kashmir with the Himalayas in the back, an ancient medieval city that was a time machine. And, and now I'm going to try to answer your question, David. I think um, I had no idea when I, when I was headed into. Um, it's very hard to describe to people how parochial the world was, particularly where I grew up in New Jersey, in the 1950s and 60s. It was, I never had no interactions with Chinese people. I never picked up a pair of chopsticks. I had never eaten Chinese food. I'd only eaten in a restaurant three times before I graduated from high school. Uh, you know, the, the, there was nothing really for sale in the supermarket, like in terms of like, you couldn't buy ginger. You couldn't buy brown bread. I mean, it was it was um, it was very constrained and and not cosmopolitan at all. Even though we were uh, we were basically a suburb of um, New York City, but it was even worse in the rest of the country. And when I went to Asia, it was like going to another planet, as well as going back in time. It was like going into a Star Wars, you know. In, uh, in a faraway galaxy long ago in time, that was like going to Asia. It just completely blew my mind. I had no idea at all what I was headed into. 
But once I got there, I realized that this was a trip, that this was this time machine, space drive, time warp thing where I was on a different planet in a, in a different era in the past. And um, I tried to take advantage of that um, with because I had one asset, which was I had time. I had almost no money being poor. My parents didn't give me any money. I had no money, but I had time and curiosity and a drive to photograph. And I was carrying these little canisters of film, which were incredibly valuable. And I conserved each one. Each one, each time I clicked uh, the shutter was equivalent of $5 today. Wow. So to take a picture was a commitment. And um, there are so many pictures I didn't take because I was conserving film. And um, uh, so I began in total ignorance, not having, not having any idea what I was going to, not having no concept that this would be a 40-year project. I was going at the invitation of a friend to visit him. I wanted to be a photographer, but I didn't know I was doing black and white landscape, but now I was doing color. It was like, I had no idea. So the short answer is, is that um, I entered into this blind and ignorant. And, and what, which one uh, on the map, uh, uh, which, is, which is a wonderful representation of, of these trips, uh, which one was the first? My first stop was Hong Kong and then Taiwan. Hmm. and um in 1972 and then then i went on to on that same trip on to japan and uh in korea south korea and in japan i hitchhiked in japan for five months and i did not see a single other foreigner for five hmm. months in japan if you can imagine that that's just like um so, so that that world at that time was um, was a different world. Um, and and uh, were you um, were you challenging yourself uh, not only through the landscapes and uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 cultures in an abstract manner? But were you also challenging yourself in uh, getting in, in, in touch and, and bridging in some way the understanding through the language barrier with, with the other people? By definition, hitchhiking means in some way having to communicate. Oh, well, yeah, it was incredibly. I mean, I arrived in Japan. I had a little textbook. I was trying to you know learn some Japanese. But I remember arriving at these, uh, I was staying at youth hostels in Japan. And arriving at a youth hostel like in the first couple of days and being utterly, um, in, you know, I mean, I just couldn't say anything I mean, besides, you know, um, Ohio, you know, konnichiwa, hello, basically. And these uh, people trying to, you know, being very, very kind and talking the simplest Japanese just to direct me to my room or tell me what time dinner was. And I was completely incomprehensing. It was, it was uh, embarrassing, I guess is the word I'm trying to say. I was embarrassed. <clears throat> and um, so you do um, <clears throat> learn a lot about yourself and 
your capabilities and your um, one of the things I learned overall for the many years of traveling and hitchhiking, even this may seem really kind of curious, but I've learned how to accept kindness. Because when you're hitchhiking, you are you are having to rely on people making gifts to you of rides and stuff and or help and you it, it takes a certain kind of almost zen mind to be in the position where you can receive where you can ask for help and receive help in kind of a gracious way without embarrassing the people who are trying to help you but by reciprocating i mean there there is an art to receiving kindness as well as to being kind and that part is, of what i learned part of what i learned that. that was the art of being of of being kinded and 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 uh, do you think that western society is maybe programming us against that ability uh we are we are told that that uh that we should be modest to the point where receiving a gift is is uh, uh, you know that that, we, that potentially we shouldn't or or uh, so so uh, as, as in contrast maybe with the with the Eastern culture um, uh, where, where for example and I don't know whether this is an appropriate example but. Um, uh, the uh, the conditions of poverty um, are are such in in many places still today uh, that uh, uh, bagging on the street is 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 quite common uh, in in the West bagging is seen as as something to be eliminated and that should be outside out of sight uh, in 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 the East. Uh, Bagging is 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 more part of of a visible culture by necessity on one hand, but could it also be due to this uh, effect that you just described, where giving and receiving unconditionally with kindness is 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 less controversial, is 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 more accepted? Yeah, and, and I think there's another element which is that in the West we preach self-reliance, this myth that you. Uh, don't require help that that you and the you know the heroic self-reliant you know frontiers person who is making everything themselves and um is, is not dependent on others help that which is a myth or, or, or the Ayn Randian libertarian right. who believes that that he is the maker of his own destiny right and um so that is that is kind of a, 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 a myth or an ideal that we often in the West aspire to. But in fact, um, we are social animals. We are social beings. And I think Asia definitely emphasizes the group, the clan, the society, and the rights and responsibilities. In other words, the, the duties and the privileges that you get from that view. That, and um, and I think being able to receive is certainly part, much more part of that than it is in the West. Let's look at uh, some more of these uh, beautiful photos. Uh, please uh, tell a few sentences about uh, each uh, as we go through them. Yeah, this is um, 
So first of all, I have to say that a lot of the traditions in Asia are not necessarily traditions that we necessarily want to continue. Uh, and this is kind of one, while it's a very beautiful um, image, what it is, is that is a, what, um, this is in Nepal, this is in Kathmandu. Um, you can kind of see some of the pagoda um, structures, temples in the background. And these are um, priests kind of like, uh, a, lay people, lay priests, who are carrying a living goddess. And there's a living goddess in the temples of Kathmandu. And they are um, young girls before puberty who are considered embodiments of the local deity. And it's a pretty harsh life for them, in, in part because during their time as a living goddess, they're isolated. You know, they can't they can't run around the streets and play with their friends because they're they're a goddess, they're a god. And so they're kind of um restricted in where they can go. And then after when they become um after puberty and they're no longer a goddess, no one really wants to marry them because you can't really marry a, a goddess. And so they're kind of they're sort of like nuns. Well, these young girls don't really have a choice in this matter. This is um, decided by their families who see an opportunity for a livelihood. So they get they get money, they get wealth, they, they're, 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 they're privileged. And the young girls are kind of paying the price for that. So um, you don't see any or you don't know any of this. All you see is a sort of remarkably outfitted um, living goddess being carried through the streets. And I have to say, even I didn't realize what it was when I was photographing. Um, but that's an example of something that's vanishing. And, you know, I don't know how long... Um, uh, <laughs> one of our viewers are, yes. uh, recognizes her. I don't know. There are a million gods in 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 India uh, and and Nepal, so I don't know whether Pierre Giorgio is right well, that she is Kumari, but maybe. No, she. That's right. That is that is that is the name. It's not okay. the name of the girl. It's the name no, of, no, of the course, position. Of the god. Yes. And she, he didn't see that one, but he's seen her descendant. Her. So yeah. so as I said, as they reach puberty. They another are replaced by you know, another one, so it's a it's like being the pope. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a role. So one of the things that I noticed as I uh, was uh, uh, looking uh, through these pages, because uh, what we are seeing are side by side pages of, of of this book, is how carefully and interestingly you lay out uh, various themes. Uh, uh, of of arts, of music, of cultures, of landscapes. So there is a, a deep thought on 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 how to make uh, the the owner of these books uh, uh, get deeper uh, emotionally, empathically into the experience. Yes. Now, uh, just a look. So, and each one of these has a caption. So every image. Even if there are a hundred on a page, which is almost never, 
Um, they all have a, a caption of at least where the location is. These are all in um, uh, Kashmir, in the Himalayas, um, which is, um, and, and they're kind of a, it's kind of a, a green place. I like, I like the theme of the, of the greens. And these are also Himalayan pictures, the next page you just showed. Um, yeah, I was just trying to zoom in the, the captions, but uh, yeah. it's a little clunky. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, hand paddling through Dahl Lake, which is the lower left image with a heart-shaped paddle in the boat. Well, all those are now being replaced with motors and electric motors. Um, that idea of a handmade paddle with a heart um, is inspiring to me, even though I understand if I was living there, I'd have an electric boat instead of a hand paddle boat. <laughs> but um, it does suggest, well, there's a, you know, there's something cool you could do with paddles and um, uh, someone somewhere is probably making uh, paddles like that. This is the Himalayas. Um, both, um, I liked the upper left, I mean, excuse me, upper right image of the houses. And which are kind of like, there seem to be scattered here and there in a lovely way, the snow covered roofs. What that tells you is that there are no vehicles. This was a totally pedestrian um, village because cars can't make these kind of turns. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's a lovely pattern for a future pedestrian town is to take it off of the grid, even take it off of the street. And you have these alleyways and the experience is just fantastic. It's just lovely. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I'm collecting these patterns is because in the old, I think it's hidden our future. That's right. So I'm seeing the contours of, of one of your next projects because the book itself doesn't pretend to teach lessons, uh, unless I am mistaken and there are other 50 or 500 pages where you're drawing uh, conclusions out of uh, what these images represent. No, I, I'm not. Uh, you're, 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 there's, a, there's a thousand pages, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, in addition to the photos, the, the, the text, what I mean, uh -huh. uh, is, is, uh, is that... Uh, you are you are directing our perceptions through the collage of, of of these images, but you are not trying to to narrate them to an excessive degree. Right. So so there are a thousand stories that can still be told about them, uh, whether through books or other other means. Um, I, I would, I would love to, to see you and I'm, I'm bet it is already on your calendar, uh, in, uh, uh the long now seminars, just, uh, telling so many stories, uh, about it, uh, pandemic, uh, permitting, of course, sure. uh, uh, but, but then what you just said is interesting that, that there are, uh, important components of a future we can invent and we can uh, design 
based on what we can learn from from things that are depicted in these photos yeah i i see i see this varieties this diversity as a space of possible solutions to the universal you know challenges of living so we need to make shelter we have to have clothes we like to have celebrations and i've documented solutions that people have come up with that were based um in a different time a different place um and their reason for being has sort of been eclipsed um you know for instance in the lower right um none of the kids have shoes everybody's barefoot being barefoot in the city was not unusual even 100 years ago now there's nobody barefoot but being barefoot is interesting because there's there's you know there's a whole kind of movement to going because these really thin vibrant shoes which was kind of returning back to the benefits of bare feet but maybe you have some covering so what i'm saying is is that um there are there are hints of even where to go in the future by these outmoded and outdated traditions they can still suggest to us new solutions for living in a city so i think here's the egg the egg um, carrier in a city that doesn't even have bicycles i think there's something about designing a city where you only walked or designing a town or designing a set of uh you know shops where you only walk is the future there is something there and I have captured some of those patterns that I think might inspire someone to to try and make a a different kind of urban experience. Uh, these uh, collages of uh, uh, well, in, in in this case, uh, backpacks uh, for carrying uh, uh, newborn children are an example of the variety of of art and and expression and beauty, and it is so heartwarming to see. Um, the poorest of, of the populations uh, investing energy, creativity in this. Uh, it, it, it so speaks against Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs because it is there is an opportunity cost in making that backpack so beautiful. Right, but still, right. uh, whether it is a flower market or, or those backpacks, uh, people at any uh, degree of, of economic development obviously embrace beauty, embrace art and creativity. Right. This is uh, the picture you're showing right now is in um, Sichuan, China, and where they have a tea house culture. And these are all tea houses kind of around the square and people go there and they spend hours sitting there and at the other end is a little stage where they can have performers. Um, but the the ambiance, the um, the atmosphere of kind of having everybody together, but not so close, and you can kind of see across if there are people enjoying. It's kind of like the cafe culture is the future. That there's that there's a germ of an idea for urban design for that third place um, of kind of a shared public space that I find inspirational. And, um, you know, if I was 
trying to design a downtown area, I would use something like this as a, as a template. It's like, what, how could we make something like this work? It would be, it just feels so good. And I try to capture that in this. And, and, and I, and I grew up in, uh, in Budapest where, um, the, the cafe culture and side, uh, uh, walk, uh, sitting areas are, are very, very common. Um, just like in Paris, I, I remember my friends in New York who were so surprised and positively surprised that over the course, maybe over the last 10 years, sidewalk cafes, uh, started to become a thing in New York as well, which is not something that you would have expected. And it shows you that regardless of what you believe, there are uh, possibilities for different experiments to blossom in every every place. Right, right. And then festivals. This is uh, India uh, Kumela in the early 70s. Um, and uh, again, it's a very pedestrian. There's there's very few vehicles. Most people are on foot or <laughs> animal feet. Um, uh, but this was a this was kind of like pre Burning Man. This was my first Burning Man experience, my first experience of having people congregate on a kind of a flat. This was on a river, a riverbed that was empty and they built an instant city and they come together for a temporary city to celebrate. And um, again, we now have kind of Burning Man trying to do this, but um, the Indians in the Kumele were doing it a century before. Um, uh, and so there, here's an example of an old way giving a hint of something for the future. Let's uh, uh, let's go to uh, your your project page because uh, rather than going in a bookstore and buying the book, maybe that is going to be possible too. Who knows? But uh, right now, anyone can go to your Kickstarter, uh, which still has uh, a month to go, and they can basically back the project with various perks, uh, supporting you in it, and uh, making sure that uh, the book is uh, uh, becoming uh, a reality and, and witness to your travels and your power of observation. Um, Tell me, is this your first Kickstarter project, or no, actually, it's, it's, it's not? I did a Kickstarter project for a graphic novel that I made with <clears throat> some friends from um, Pixar and ILM. It took eleven years. Another <laughs> another really long project that we um, <clears throat> made. It was this again another big oversized book with way too many pages, but um, it was a wonderful story about. Um, a about angels and robots meeting together and um this is my second one i'm doing this one mostly myself um and it's in partly in response to the fact that um book bookstores are kind of a difficult place to sell books these days because people aren't going into bookstores for not only the reasons of covid and the pandemic but just they've just decreased in general. Um, and so um, I think trying to reach people in different ways is really what this Kickstarter is about. 
Um, and, and I've decided to try and maximize the number of fans to get the book rather than the revenue. So I um, priced the book low and then made an even further discount on Kickstarter. So anybody who purchases it will be purchasing it $50 less than even the retail price will be when it does come out. And it will be on Amazon sooner or later. And so um, uh, I would like to share my enthusiasm for this world and its diversity and its otherness, because I think in otherness is the betterment of tomorrow. And when we cultivate and explore and celebrate that diversity and that otherness, I think um, it does good things for us and for others. And so um, I see this huge three volumes, which weighs 27 pounds. I see it as 27 pounds of otherness. Uh, you, you, you connect with the, with the otherness, though, in a manner that uh, uh, creates uh, um, strong bonds uh, through the observation of your, your photographs, of course, and, and, and through uh, your concept uh, of uh, a thousand true fans, right? Uh, which, yeah. which, hey, they, they, they came. I got, I got my thousand. Yeah, when I wrote the, um, when I first wrote up Thousand True Fans in 2008 or so, 13 years ago, it was a theory. It was before Kickstarter. There was no Kickstarter. Um, there were very few people who were actually trying to rely on on um, fans in direct relation. And my and I offered this as a kind of a theory, a kind of a, a a matter of arithmetic of how if you had this new technology, which allowed you to have relationships with many of your audience or customers at scale, then you didn't need to have the large numbers, which you would need if you had a publisher or a, a label or a studio. And so the technology allowed a disintermediation to happen for the first time, but it was a theory. And much to my delight, I, in my goal for this was to find a thousand true fans for myself. So it's no longer a theory for me. It is a fact. I have personal experience of, of that. And, um, I was very, very happy when we had a thousand true fans, a thousand fans, excuse me, a thousand backers. And um, uh, so um, that's an example of, of technology and, and the new tools. And on your Instagram, actually on the Instagram of when it, Vanishing Asia, which is the name of the book, because you have your personal Instagram right. as well. So uh, on, on the Instagram page of uh, Vanishing Asia, uh, there are also uh, beautiful photos. And some things, I don't know if these are in the book. Uh, uh, tell, tell us about what, what this is. Well, um, these are all the cameras that I used to take uh, pictures in the book over the past 40 years. And they're kind of in chronological order. The ones in the back are the older ones, and they're film. And the ones in the front are recent ones, because I went up until 2019. Um, and they're um, they're the Alumix brand point and shoot, 
meaning that they're just a single, they're super zooms or a single lens. And um, among all of them, there's not a single professional level camera. I've never owned a professional level camera. I've always gone for kind of um, middle of the road uh, amateur camera, um, mostly because I don't like to carry that weight. And earlier, in earlier years, I didn't have enough money to buy a, a Nikon, so I bought a Nikkor Mat, which was this sort of, um, I don't know what the, the equivalent would be, but it's, it was sort of uh, the, the amateur version of the Nikon, which is what all the professionals used. And um, I just could not afford it at the time. So um, these cameras, and, and you, are well them you can see, yeah, they, they, I got my money's worth out of them. They all still work, but I will never go back to film. Film, I can do anything you want film to do, I can do with digital. Um, and I have more versatility, but uh, at the beginning, that was film and slides were the only way to to do things. So uh, I have a lot of slides, which I did scan and make digital to make the book, but you can see me there um, in the seventies uh, doing what you had to do with uh, slides is you had to have a light table that, um, you know, would transmit up so you could see them. Um, you couldn't see them. Well, you had to use a little loop, which I used, you can kind of see there's a loop there next to my left hand. Um, to 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 a magnifier to actually look at the um, little tiny pictures to see if they're in focus, whatever. And um, I was laying out a multimedia show there um, to to show because that was really the only way to see them was projected. It was way too expensive to make a print. Um, I didn't make prints of any of them. Uh, and as a matter of fact, here's the weird thing: when I was photographing, there's no screen on the back to show you what you've got. I would photograph, set all the exposures manually, photograph it, mail the film back to my mom who put it in a freezer where it would be for a couple of years until I came back and then would get a job to earn money to have it developed. So several years later, I would see it. And that's a terrible, terrible feedback loop because so, I kind of had the wrong gratification. I could have had the wrong exposure. It could have been out of focus. I didn't know it. So, um, in fact, my camera could be not working. I wouldn't know it. So every um, every couple of months, I bought some black and white film locally and took a roll through the camera just to make sure that the camera was still working properly because otherwise I wouldn't know. Um, but that's a terrible way to learn photography is to – delay seeing what you've taken for two years absolutely absolutely um so uh, definitely uh, this is uh, a project uh, that is uh, that is worth uh, backing and you know i am surrounded by books so me too <laughs> they're everywhere so, so for 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 you and me and so many other people these are uh, beautiful objects, and they a little bit belong to the past as well. What is your plan? How will you connect, apart from the Instagram, you know, which is proper, is there any other way that you are planning to 
uh, have the narrative and the stories in this book reach those who know about paper books, but uh, either because of space reasons or for other reasons, they 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 don't uh, they they decide they don't own them anymore. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of digital books and Kindles and stuff, um, but I will have to disappoint you and others because there will not be a digital version of this book. Um, I've tried it and it just doesn't work. This having these pages at the scale that they are, you open them up, you fall into this place. You have an immersion. You have many, many pictures all on one page. The captions are at the bottom. You need that scale to see it. Like right now you can't even read it, but to, to get, to get the full experience, you need to have that big real estate. So, um, there, there were, I made 20 PDFs, which were, um, rewarded to the 20 patrons for this, um, uh, for this campaign, but that's it. Um, and, and that's just for them to search. It's, it was a supplement rather than a substitute for the book. Yes. It was a yes. way to search through and find something, which is how I use it. I have a PDF that I use just to find things because there's a thousand pages and there's 9,000 images and it's, you know, even though I design each page differently, each page is its own design. I don't, I can't really remember where the 9,000 images are exactly. That's all my passports. That, um, that, that is, uh, that is by itself, uh, uh, memory. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing that you have to, that I take is that things were very, very lax. I mean, you know, they were, there was a rubber stamp, um, and they wrote it in by hand. Um, everything was entirely forgeable. <laughs> there was, uh, which we, you know, we, we, we were very, um, it was a very slippery and porous um, time. Um, but the book is really the only um, version that there's going to be. And the advantage of the book, even though it's very old fashioned, is that it won't go obsolete it will always be accessible. Um, it'll be in libraries or whatever. It'll last forever. It will outlive you. And that's, um, that's his virtue. So, um, and, 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 and yes, uh, it is, it is um, a conundrum of those of us who love digital technology that their half-life is so short. Yeah. All of us have uh, you know, uh, a zip drive somewhere or or whatever other uh, medium that became obsolete in five years and we don't even have uh, a means of accessing it anymore. The the worst story of this is uh, when NASA uh, on Moffett Field uh, right. discovered some original uh, tapes uh, of, of lunar uh, surveys and they realized that they didn't have uh, the machines right. to read those tapes and there is still someone working on building the machines to read the tapes and 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 recover that heritage of of incredibly valuable data. So in this sense, you're right. Analog medium, uh, analog media uh, are 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 proven uh, through ages to 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 be able to survive. It's it's a little bit of a tangent, but I've um, had the chance to consult with the Smithsonian and. My recommendation to them was that they should take some small budget and develop a wing of one of their uh, buildings and just maintain working 
models of every single media device there is just you know have people whose only job it is is to keep the commodore 64 in this estonian going so that you can play one of those cartridges and then you would have one of each still working with spare parts to keep it going and that would be you know a national treasure and and to to continue on this uh, tangent um one kind of an explanation for the fermi paradox of of not having aliens uh, visible around us is that layers upon layers of abstraction uh, are conceivable for an entire civilization to disappear and right. and and to literally be invisible to those who are not equipped with the right kind of readers um right. and when we when we put uh, the disc uh, on on the voyager uh to be found by uh, whomever whenever outside of the solar system in in hundred thousand years or so we chose to engrave uh, our symbols mechanically they are not encoded they are directly uh, accessible and and it was it was one of the reasons so so i i understand uh, uh, why why the paper book uh three three volumes uh uh East Asia, Central Asia, and 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 West Asia, um, and uh, and this uh, quote uh, that is that is beautiful. Uh, it's it's not signed, so I assume it is. It's these are your words. Yes, it is. That's that's the first page, and um, it was just a little poem to kind of introduce where we're going, um, and that's a beautiful little. Um, temple in a mountain sanctuary in china but um yeah it's it's a um a time before everything was the same and those differences i think are important for us to remember and they're just simply beautiful they're just stunningly gorgeous uh and you know, that beauty, I, I, I am very, very proud to have captured it. And you have to remember that every single one of these photographs um, was me standing there, you know, uh, and, you know, getting up early in the morning and making that long trip to the end of the road where there's villages that's five hours from the city, that's two hours from the capital city and, um, and being there uh, on time is sort of, a lot of what my adult life was about. Were most of these uh, trips um, um, without someone or with someone or a mix and it didn't matter, it was just haphazard? It's, it's a mix. There was a lot of them where I was by myself in terms of I didn't have a traveling partner. For yeah. some of them, I actually traveled with my um, closest brother, Brian, who's a year um, younger than I am. I traveled briefly with a, a girlfriend i have traveled with my wife i have traveled with um a couple of two guys that we love to kind of in more recent years um uh, uh, travel i've traveled with my brother-in-law in china i have traveled with 16 people i rented a a bus in japan and i had um uh we had 40 people on a tour bus for a wedding 
and I went through the my favorite places in Japan. So I have done everything, every possible version of travel. I have I've done um, where um, from the solo to a whole tour bus full of people. What was the What was the last uh, trip in 2019? Which Which the destination? It was in China with um, uh, a group of friends. Ten? No, see, there was uh, yeah, there were ten of us, and we did a walk. We walked for a week through the countryside. Um, led by a guy who spoke um, Chinese. And we were, um, it was a fantastic um, adventure. And we, I call it a walk and talk. And I've done a number of these where all day long, we're walking along together in a group of 10 and we're talking to each other. And but by the end of the week, you've, you've had a really deep conversation with everybody on that group. And the subjects are just open. Because you're walking along through this incredible, like we're walking through a Chinese scroll. It's with all the karst mountains, this fantastic thing through the river valley. So you have this beautiful scenery. You're talking about all kinds of important and interesting things. And then in the evening, every evening we have a Jeffersonian um, dinner, which is means we have a single topic in every in one conversation. So everybody talks about one topic that's chosen by one person in the group so everybody gets to choose one topic that they want the group to talk about and that is the highlight of the walk and talk is to have that conversation that you've know that is assigned that morning or the day before and everybody is completely engaged for hours while we sit around a great meal talking about this one thing it is fantastic and i think I mean, telling people about it, I hope everybody else imitates it because this is a really great, great model. And we become lifelong friends and we do one a year, a different group of people. Um, and so that was and, in China. And was it was it the case that uh, given uh, how 2020 turned out, it helped you decide, okay, I'm not going anywhere this year. So I'm get, I will get down and do the, do the book. Yes, that's exactly right. I did not get on a plane I've not been on a plane for a year and a half. We actually had a walk and talk scheduled uh, for the fall that um, we just postponed. Um, so um, yes, so I did the book. It's my way of traveling. And that's another reason that I recommend it to people who may not be traveling as much as that. This will take you on a trip. There are 1,080 pages. It will take you three hours, maybe half a day to just look at every page and not read anything to just turn the pages and go through is a four hour trip. And, 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 and I, I, I am fully convinced that anyone um, engaging with you on Kickstarter, buying the book, backing the project, or, uh, you know, when it is going to be the case, uh, buying it on Amazon or wherever uh, uh, are going to pace themselves uh, uh, instead of, uh, the um, uh, you know the um, binging of the book <laughs> it, it is it is worth uh, tasting it uh, maybe fifteen or thirty minutes every evening for a month and so on. Yeah, uh, I, I would love if someone did that. It, the nothing would make me happier if anybody gets the book and they do that, where they actually read all the captions for every image and look at each image and read it and take it their time and go through it. Write me a note 
and I'll send you another copy to give to a friend. I would just be, you would just have made my life at that point. Another way of, of, of using it that I would find uh, entirely possible and, and incredibly inspiring is to slam one down uh, on the bed uh, and read, or not read, sorry, and, and completely invent a bedtime story <laughs> out of a couple of pages or four. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and there could be a thousand stories. And imagine the child rediscovering the book 20 or 30 years later and wondering where are the stories i have all these stories in my head i'm reading the captions they have nothing to do with that yeah well you know it's funny because i did an earlier book where some of the first photographs were done it was published by tashin and i have had a number of people tell me that that's one of their favorite uh books for their kids that they actually the kids do like to just pace through and look at it and hear little stories. There were no captions in the first book at all. There were zero. So you had to make up captions for them. But um, kids um, like the kind of strangeness of, of this and the beauty, and they do, um, they do respond to it. So uh, um, is there a, a, an easy URL? Because uh, the URL of uh, the Kickstarter itself is, is kind of complicated. Uh, what can I share, which is the best? Uh, I mean, anyone can Google it. Uh, if you if can you Google it, yeah. If you do Vanishing Asia, I'm sure you'll find it. Exactly. My website is um, pretty simple. It's just my initials, kk.org. Um, now that you've reminded me, I don't think I have it on the front page, but I guess I should. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, if you go to Kickstarter um, and type my name or Vanishing Asia, you should find it. Uh, I really appreciate you are highlighting this and um, probing me with memories of how it came about. Um, I'm so excited to be able to share any of these images with people. You can see them all for free on, not all, but you can see many of the images, a uh, hundred or so out of the 9,000 on the Vanishing Asia Instagram. Um, but uh, it's always, I, I just enjoy it if other people enjoy them. Absolutely. And uh, and I am uh, looking forward uh, to, uh, to, to to see the book, touch the book, smell the book. I love uh, the smell of books. <laughs> and uh, uh, Kevin, thank you very much for uh, coming uh, back on Searching for the Question Live. I don't know what the third uh, <laughs> time is going to be about, but I'm sure there will be an opportunity and it will be a real pr pleasure to have you back uh, then as well. Thank you, David. I always appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for uh, being with us today on Searching for the Question Live. Uh, please go and uh, check out the Kickstarter for Vanishing Asia. You still have a, a, a month. Uh, it is a beautiful project. And uh, see you next time on uh, Searching for uh, the Question Live, uh, where I'm sure we will have uh, wonderful guests to talk about interesting things uh, as well. And uh, in the meantime, uh, I invite you to uh, back us on Patreon or in this uh, latest new thing, uh, BitCloud, uh, if you want to check it out. Uh, I am very intrigued by it, as you can hear. And uh, maybe I will uh, show it to you more. 
uh, next time, and um, uh, we may we may dedicate uh, an episode uh, to it. Thank you, and uh, and see you uh, next time. Mm -hmm.